1: Okay, this is the CCM Investing Power Hour, the Chit Chat Money Investing Power Hour. We are live on YouTube. I'm going to switch to gallery mode. Excuse me. In that bug there.
0: There we go. Oh my gosh. Such a pain. We mess this up every time. Wait, wait, wait. The podcast wait. people probably think we are. Okay, so there lost. we go. There we go. <laughs> the, uh, I think we might want to change the, the name of the show. And you can you can talk about what the show is in a second. To growth stock grievance hour?
1: <laughs> Maybe. That's Maybe. not bad. We'll talk about that offline. All right. Yeah, we're <laughs> still working out the kinks. To going live on YouTube takes a lot of button clicking in rapid succession. But yeah, this is the CCM Investing Power. I'm here with Ian Gray and Ryan Henderson, as always. I guess we'll just go to both of you guys. Ian, first up, how's your week been in the investing world? How are you feeling? Uh,
2: it's been an interesting week as uh you know it, it feels like every time i look at my brokerage account it's either up five percent or down five percent plus um so one of those one of those weeks but uh makes it makes it more exciting makes it a little more fun I feel like there's a lot of uh, interesting ideas that i'm kind of flipping over almost every day so um yeah it's it's a good time to be an investor not necessarily the most most uh profitable time but maybe we'll look back on it and say it's a profitable time. Who knows?
0: Yeah. Ryan. Yeah. It never feels like a good time, but, uh, I do. It's more fun. Like for sure. We are, I swear every company, it's no longer like, well, maybe if this was cut in half, I'd consider it. It's more like, all right, this is, now you're having to make decisions between do I add to, do I add a new position or do I add to an existing position? Uh, and that's a lot more fun because you can kind of you're actually weighing your opportunity costs as opposed to uh just adding to stuff you already have potentially
1: yeah, and I think anyone listening, I don't think we have many energy guys in our sphere of the investing world, but they're probably thinking, well, there was that um a few a few months ago right when you guys you know when we were all saying everything was expensive, but you know, that's just not what we look at. Um, any earnings reports you guys looked at this week? I guess maybe if not, I, if nothing comes to mind, I read the Target conference call, which I don't know if we have any thoughts on that because the stock totally tanked, but I, I thought it was a bit of uh, They had They're having inventory problems. They're having inventory buildup, and they basically miscalculated that, and they're guiding for, uh, I mean, it's positive comps. And they're saying that there's been a whole transition from people buying home goods to now buying stuff like luggage. So luggage was up 50% year over year. And they just miscalculated a bunch of stuff on that, but the stock totally, I mean, I think it was down like 25% or more. Um,
2: But there's still, the business isn't totally harmed. Ian, did you look at that one at all? I didn't look at that one, but I know that it it kind of pulled down a couple of the retail holdings I own. And so, uh, um, I think, I think that's gonna be somewhat of a common story as, as these retail numbers come out, just that people, I think the inventory thing is a real issue. Like I think even in the best of times, companies have a hard time with inventory management. It always seems like the thing that will tank, uh, particularly the retail stocks, but I've seen that happen with a number of my holdings over the years. And I think in a time like this, where you've got some supply chain problems on one hand, and then you've got just uncertainty about demand on the other side, Um, It's just a really unpredictable environment. And so I think it it makes some sense that, like I said, I had a couple other, I don't own Target, but I had a couple other retail holdings that were pulled down because of the Target report. Um, At least I assume that's what it was related to. And uh, I think it's going to be a common story for the next few months. We we do have a
0: question in the chat that asks if we use the rule of 40 for software as a service companies. Uh, If so, what do you use for the profitability metric? EBITDA, free cash flow, net income. I I don't. I mean, and it's not the worst rule in the world. And I'm curious to get your guys' take. As for the profitability metrics of any company, we use free cash flow. That's, I mean, that's ultimately what matters for any shareholder is the cash that a company generates over time. So um, I don't know. There's ways to manipulate like the rule of 40, I think. Well,
1: with adjusted like, EBITDA,
0: yeah, For yeah, sure. and just yeah, definitely with adjusted EBITDA. But like, I don't know, if you have zero profitability and and forty percent revenue growth, don't you break the rule of forty?
2: That's uh, not really
0: that me. Wait, sorry, say that again. If you have zero, if like you have no profitability, but you have forty percent revenue growth, isn't that don't you pass the rule of forty? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think it's a good concept. Yeah,
0: it's not, yeah, it's not I, terrible.
1: I don't want to, I don't like to get locked down on the 40%. I kind of like to use that number of, okay, we have our profitability margin and then how fast are we able to grow on top of that? I kind of like that concept in general, saying what that number is. 40% just seems like a number someone threw out of a hat and decided that that was going to be it. And a lot of people focus on that, but it could be just any number. um, Just adding that into your metrics and kind of tracking that over the years can be helpful to see how much operating leverage a company is getting or not, whether unit economics may look like while they're scaling. Um, and I think the ones that can put up, you know, 50 to 60 range are quite impressive. And the, some, those are some of the top in the industry, whether it is from those, you know, really fat margins of 30% plus, which a few software mature software companies can do while also growing 15%, or having 0% to 10% margins while growing 60 to 70%, that's, or maybe the math's wrong there, 10% to 10, positive ten percent while growing like sixty to seven percent, sixty to seventy percent. That shows pretty good sales efficiency in my mind as well.
0: But yeah, I mean, I I would never take the rule of forty in isolation because it completely ignores valuation. Which true, true. Th- how many of these come? How many of the companies that absolutely absolutely crushed the rule of forty over the last year are down more than seventy percent, probably or at least more than fifty percent? Like it. It's a good indicator of quality, I think. It's maybe not the best indicator in the world, but it's a decent indicator of quality. But you have to uh, uh, balance that with what the market's expectations are.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, I think that's totally different discussion. Um, Ian, any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think I don't use the rule of 40 to make like buy or sell decisions, but it kind of gives me a, a, I sometimes kind of use it as a first pass just to get a general idea about the quality of the company. Um, And if I'm looking, especially at those SaaS companies, if it's, if you've got above the rule of 40, then I'll probably be a little more interested in looking at it. If it's below the rule of 40, you know, I'm going to be less interested in looking at it. Fairly self explanatory, but I think, like you guys, I use free cash flow if I'm calculating that type of pretty much anytime I'm calculating profitability. I'm looking at free cash flow. Um, yeah, I think you guys covered it pretty well.
0: Yeah. Well, if it's 39%, and you're out. You can't. Out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Deal no. breaker. Doesn't matter <laughs> yeah. if it trades at a 50% free cash flow yield, if it's just right, it has to break 40. No, it's, it, I think, just in general, it's bad to have any hard rules uh, yeah. in investing. So I don't know, just be flexible,
2: I guess. Maybe, or maybe it's a good not. question. I, I think that's that's actually something maybe we should explore a little bit. What do you think about hard rules? Because I tend to, I have tended not to have very hard rules and I've kind of explored lots of different areas and I kind of see it sometimes. Sometimes I probably invest in things that are outside of my circle of competence, um, but I invest in them kind of hoping to grow that uh, piece of knowledge, um, that kind of area of knowledge. And I don't have, I probably am less disciplined in a lot of ways, and it's something I've considered, but I'm less disciplined about checklist and, and, um, always making sure everything fits into like this box that I know how it works. I'm kind of part of it. I'm still young and still trying to figure out exactly how I want to invest over the next 30, 40, 50 years. But, um, I don't know, what do you guys think about that? Do you, do you like having certain rules or certain checklists as you go through, or do you kind of. And is there like stuff that's just a hundred percent off limits or do you take a little bit more of a, um, I don't even know the right term, but maybe more organic approach and kind of, you know, do do you research things in the same way? Do you have different methods of research? What's kind of, what's your process like? Brett go first.
1: I think the big, the only checklist I have are, there's only one point on the checklist is it's got to be within the circle of competence went with a little bit of margin of safety. There's some businesses that are kind of near the border looking historically at maybe some stuff I've researched. I thought like MongoDB or something like that could be kind of close to something I can understand, but it's on that borderline. So I want it to be really far within the circle of competence. I think that's the only checklist I have. And then besides that, um, I'm pretty, try to be pretty flexible on a lot of stuff. And I think over the last two years, definitely to our detriment, being flexible on something like valuation, we do not have any hard rules. And that I still believe like a lot, we've obviously made some mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes, but maybe having some hard rules on valuation could be helpful because while it might keep you from investing in something that's is the best business in the world, growing super, super quickly, has so much potential to be a hundred bag or 10 bagger, or whatever. It can really help you from buying something at 20 times sales that goes down to three times sales, which without giving out any names that happened, basically happened to us with one of our holdings in the last year. And having that maybe as a part of the checklist could be a way to improve it, but either way in general, I think keeping the checklist short is nice. We, because you don't want to artificially restrict yourself from saying, oh, I only buy stuff that's growing revenue at 30%. That feels artificial to me and just keeping you out of stuff that may be, you know, a good, a good investment.
0: I agree. I think it might yeah, I think it might have helped us to have a little more price discipline, like hard rules. Um, and it's just like, it's so easy to rationalize or justify that a company could have like, a better growth rate, like for that company you really, really love, it's like, okay, maybe this could compound the top line at thirty percent for the next decade, and it's like most companies like are not going to be able to do that they very rare, very occasionally there's the outliers, so it's like having having a hard rule around that would prevent you from making that mistake and letting your love for a company. Uh, Impact your returns. At the same time, it's I don't know. It's just not as fun to have a hard rule.
1: Mm Hmm. Yeah, it's it's tough. I think it's personal too. Everyone's got their own. Some people may want more stricter rules, and that's just how they go.
2: And you should. Some people. I was just gonna say. I think some people, because I've thought about this before. It's not the way I have invested over the last five or six years or whatever, but. I think there are some people who do really well and saying I'm going to fish in this small pool and whether that's based on, you know, these limits on valuation or whether it's based on only, um, you know, oil and gas stocks or only consumer discretionary or only whatever it is. Like there are certain people who do that. And I think there's people who have success doing that. Um, because there are, it's not always true, but there are, there's lots of great companies to invest in. Like if we look forward 10 years from now, there's going to be a variety of people who have good returns and from a variety of different stocks, right? It's not going to be all the same stocks that lead to all the best uh, performing managers over the next 10 years. And so like, I don't think there's one one strategy to rule them all necessarily over the last 10 years, maybe you could make the argument that it was fang, but, um, but it's, there's lots of ways to make money. And so I always kind of have this internal debate about, do I, do I try and focus in an area that I think there's particularly, you know, that there's a, there's enough fish that I can, I can <laughs> earn my way in this, in this smaller pond and I can get really good at fishing this small pond because I know it really well. Um, or is it better to just be in the ocean and, you know, kind of go where, go where it seems like there's some, uh, you know, where, where people are having luck and kind of find some, find some good spots for me, but not be like super tied down to one particular pond. Because I do think some of those people sometimes when you constrict yourself a lot, you there sometimes there's cycles where you just have a real hard time making any money. And yeah. Um, and maybe that's not a bad thing if you're making it over the long term, but I think it does lead to situations where it's a little more difficult to, to earn returns.
0: Yeah. I think like a lot of the it's a good point. Like let's say someone that's like only oil and gas, like that's that's their circle of competence right now. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home, and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. It would be easy if we went into a down cycle. It would be easy to feel like you were right, yet, and and kind of like build off that. Like that's that's more confirmation that like that strategy is working for you. Yet it would be really hard to make money, I imagine, unless you're like really good both ways, long and short. I think it would be hard to make money in things that are like
2: cyclical being. Or if you're, if you're somehow good at the timing, right. And you can just say, I'm going to, I'm going to get in when things are cheap and I know that it cycles and I'm going to hold cash when things are expensive and just, you know, kind of take that, make that trade, like say, I'm willing to hold cash for years at a time and and then make my money when the cycle is right. And then hold cash again, and then make my money when the cycle is right. Like that's not really the game I want to play. It seems too, (laughs) too involved, but you gotta be right. You gotta be right. A lot.
0: Couldn't you make more money elsewhere? Being like a generalist during those downtimes instead of like like netted out over 20 years, like even if you're right and you hold the cash in the down cycles and then and then you're right and you get long whatever the stocks are during the up cycles. Do you think you'd do better just owning like a broad basket of stocks over that time period? It depends yeah. on
2: it depends how good you are at fishing in that small pond, right? If you're yeah. like super good at timing it, then you know potential and finding the good opportunities. And I think potentially there's, I think there's examples of people who have done that. I think it's hard and it's arguably, you know, I think there's, it's art like any stock picking, it's arguably luck and not skill. But, um, but I think there are people who have done that for, for somewhat extended periods of time.
0: I I think more people, I think you see more of that type of success in bear markets because it's less of, I think it's less the generalists doing well, but also I don't know, like even whether it's your circle of competence or your hard rules that you have, all of those should, if you're a good investor, evolve over time and change. And I feel like the best investors have changed their strategy as they've grown.
1: Yeah, most likely most of the time. Yeah. I think on a broader note, the way I see some people either positively or negatively constrict themselves is the easiest one is someone that says, I only invest in growth stocks. Okay. This business has to be growing 30% or whatever. Um, or if not, I will not be investing in it. And during certain time periods, that can be a great strategy. Um, hard to tell exactly which, but during other time periods that can be a terrible strategy. And then conversely there could be someone that says, I only invest in things that trade at an earnings or cash flow multiple below the long-term S&P's average of like 16, and sometimes that can be a phenomenal way to invest. Say, starting over the last two years, I think that would have been just maybe revised to what's done well in our own portfolio, but that uh, sort of strategy probably has done well the last few years. But sometimes it's not the strategy to go. And if you artificially constrict yourself, you just got to be comfortable with being, you're going to go through more um, periods of underperformance, but you have to know that stick with, (laughs) if you're good at your strategy, you have to know to stick with it. And you have to be comfortable with that underperformance, because if you stick with that certain area, sometimes it's just out of favor. Does that make sense guys? Or am I kind of.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, I think I think we're kind of going in circles around the whole thing of like hard rules can present they, they they can be like artificial barriers that you don't need that could prevent you from earning returns in another way.
1: Yeah, or conversely, it's tough because it can prevent you from making bad mistakes.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. All right. All let's right,
1: talk. Twitter. Question. Let's
0: talk. Let's talk. Okay. Yeah. Wait, we hold a question on. here. Have you guys? Uh, kept up with Doximity.
1: No, we did. Well, I don't know if Ian, you were on that episode that we did the not so deep dad, but we did it back in the summer when I was trading like 50 times sales, healthcare platform, right? For doctors.
0: Yeah. Like kind of like a social media. It's almost like a LinkedIn for the medical, like medical professionals in the U S they have 80% plus of all the physicians in the United States on the platform. They just acquired okay. something. First of all, they generate 50%. This quarter was basically 50% free cash flow margins, which.
1: How much is that? What What about what was their operating?
0: They crushed the rule of 40.
1: <laughs> they, yeah. Well, it's an automatic buy now. What? They, uh, what's like sometimes, sometimes people over earn like Pinterest was
0: last. No, year. it's generally, uh, they're generally quite profitable. Uh,
1: that's interesting. 50%. I mean, that's. That's fantastic. What's it might have been ratio? like a
0: little high this quarter, but it's usually—I mean, it's it's pretty pricey. If I remember correctly, it was something like—I want to say it was to sales of like ten. Uh, we're
1: back up. I think it's well, it's up ten percent today. I think this because this week it must have had earnings and Evita sales is back up to sixteen. So bargain, total bargain now.
0: <laughs> but hey, if. If it's thirty times cash flow and they are, uh, they're they're growing like a weed, maybe it is. But the uh, they just acquired a company that's kind of that like uh, physicians. They dictate physicians' schedules or not dictate, but it's like a platform for physicians scheduling. And they acquired them. I think it's called Amion.com. And my whole gripe with Doximity was like, all right, they've got 80% of the physicians in the U.S. Are they kind of like saturated? Like, how are they going to grow? But they continue to just tack on that level of scale has helped them tack on like new revenue streams over and over. So like at first it was the advertising with pharmaceutical companies, then it was hiring with hospitals. So hospitals could go in there and like use it as a hiring platform like LinkedIn. And now they're doing like, they, they acquired... And part of that is like they're generating a ton of cash. They really they have the money to acquire companies. They're acquiring companies that just kind of just bolt onto the platform. I don't know. I guess I don't know that like space that well. Like the medical professionals' day to day, like what their daily workflows look like. But it just seems like an interesting platform. They also announced a seventy million dollar buyback, and the CEO is like, "We're using this essentially to offset dilution." Uh, from Ooh, thumbs down from from the IPO till uh from the uh, like all all of the stock that was issued from the IPO till now plus any any issuances over the next year we're using it to offset I don't know it's not the end of the world if you have like no. we do it with our companies we, they just don't say it they're just not candid oh, they're I mean, like
1: yeah it's, you can live with it but I just don't like when they buy back just to to offset some of the greatest companies, do it. Microsoft does it. So it's Google does it. It's not the end of the world. Do you guys want to guess what their peak EV to sales was?
0: No, when we looked at it, it was like 50 times. Ian, you had a guess? Uh, I'm going to say 60 times.
1: 74. Whew. Now it's down to 16. It's been, it looks like their stock chart, but. Yeah. Interesting company. It feels a bit like GoodRx, though, where not the same type of company, but it's one that like, okay, that's interesting. They're serving a need, but it's in that industry where, you'll, where you just might not have a grasp on some of the risks or something like that, where, the, and I think that's happening to GoodRx, if I'm not mistaken, but it's just tougher to understand. So
0: it's, that might be one that's it on feels the- feels like a very different circle. model- it feels like a very different model than GoodRx, but yes, No, no I'm not it talking business on the model. I'm talking
1: I'm talking the understanding of
0: risk, like where, it's, where yeah. it's at in your circle of confidence. Yeah, potentially, yeah. just not like ever, like never experiencing the product firsthand and not knowing like whether yeah. what they're telling you is really how their customers see the platform.
1: Yeah, and it's so hard to just talk to doctors
0: unless you know them. <laughs> well, I just don't like talking to doctors
1: no you can't just call up their office or go visit them and say hey I have some <laughs> questions they're busy with patients
0: they're like hey i know you're operating on someone but could you talk to me about doximity like what yeah, do you think what do the, you think of amion.com
1: in the surgeon room there you're in the you're in the operating room right okay okay we got, oh we got someone who's giving us some good notes stefan thank you good notes on doximity i think it might be Stephen. Stephen or stefan
0: yeah Stephen cod yeah appreciate he's yeah, he's dropping us a whole bunch of information in there I like that. Yeah, the numbers um, look good. The uh, yeah, let's talk about the Twitter stuff because I find it quite hilarious.
1: I was, I'm smiling. You guys, an Elon hater, I am smiling. I well, I, I saw today that they're going to force the deal to go through, which will be again interesting and it's very entertaining.
0: Yeah, it's. Uh, like, give me a break that you didn't know how many bots were on the platform. Like, have you ever read the mentions on your own tweets? Well, that, that, well, as, uh, the Bloomberg com- as the
1: Bloomer columnist Matt Levine said it, he's a hundred percent lying here because the bots were the reason he put out the acquisition bid because he wanted to get rid of them. So he knew
0: they were there. Like, no one, no one's buying the fact that he didn't know the bots were there. Yeah. No, it's a total no lie. one's. I think everyone's like, "Come on, like we we read your we read the comments on your tweets. Like, are you just trying to get like a lower price? Like, what's going on here?" And then I'm seeing like the Tesla community, like it's not going to go through. Like, our stock's going to shoot back up. I'm like, I don't think that's what's happening here. And I, I don't know. It feels uh, well. Tesla's stock was going down because
1: of China's retail sales, but those numbers look bad.
0: It was funny to watch, and you know what? I'm loving. Is the rise of Bezos's Twitter? I mean, we're yeah. seeing this. This is like the greatest duel. No, Bezos, it's not. <laughs> Bezos it's is crushing it, it on, on, on his Twitter game. And well, you know what? I've that's always what, liked that's what him. I told this him, this him when I I said, "That's
1: what I told him when I saw him that one time." I said, "You got to get on Twitter, fight back."
0: <laughs> it is. Uh, it's it's validating because I've always thought I liked. But I'm always like, I would definitely. I feel like I'd like. Bezos like I feel like he'd be funny and now it's he's proving it out
1: well he does have the crazy laugh speaking on the the Twitter deal though the I really and this is always optimistic whenever something like this happens so like Musk always gets into something new and then he totally pretends he knows what he's doing and he's doing that with Twitter and it seems like a lot of people are saying, oh, he's like, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. Is he just a pretender? And I'm like, yes, more people are understanding that he's been a pretender this whole way. He's just a uh, whatever, like no different than the other kind of, you know, I, I think he's more similar to Adam Newman than people think. Um, And that, but Adam Newman also great inspiration of getting people to, you know, fight for a company and stuff like that. But this always happens. And then it, it just blows over and he evades the law and is still able to do whatever he wants, I, I feel like it's always false hope when I think, okay, now everyone will realize he's kind of a, a bullshitter. Um, but what are guys you guys' thoughts? Is he going to, is he going to blow over?
0: I don't know if it, that is the exact terminology I'd use, but the, uh, it, uh, it's been a rough week for him. I, I, I think he's going to have to acquire it. I think maybe he, he might've made the bid out of like a, spite and then realize like i don't want to do this at all and now he's trying to kind of backtrack um i thought it was also funny that they were kicked out of the esg whatever s&p 500 oh yeah that made me smile too on top of all and, and then it like it played into the whole like oh classic this is like this is just the leftist agenda trying to get us like trying to shame me because i buy buying twitter i'm like what S&P this global. is like completely
1: know, s&p global they they are a leftist
0: agenda corporation they are out for
1: it's <laughs> uncorrelated
0: like i Ian, i want to hear your takes I'm, i want to pull up something that uh that i read and and i'll, I'll talk about it after your take
1: All blocked, thanks to advanced security included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions
0: apply.
2: <laughs> I I don't know if I have any takes anymore on this. It's it's uh, I think a couple of weeks ago I said this was one of the mo- more interesting and exciting stories out there, and I think it sort of is. Like it's it's high drama and high finance, right? So you get you get a good mix, and it's it's fun. Feels like a. Uh, I don't know. It, it's shaping up and to be more dramatic than most things in high finance that you see out in public. Like I think there's a lot of drama in finance, but it's often behind the scenes and we're getting to see this all out in front of us. Um, we've had a lot of that in the last couple of years between uh, the meme stocks and GameStop. And we might get into this later too, but Melvin Capital announcing today, I don't know if you saw that, they're, they're uh, returning money, it looks like. So um, kind of closing the doors, but I don't know. I think, I think if I had to guess, I think the deal does happen. And I know Brett, you were saying they're going to try and force him to do it. I think the deal does happen and I think Musk will be okay because so much of it's going to get financed by wall street and not by him that, you know, he'll survive and they'll get through it. And, and honestly, I think having someone, I think tw- it's funny. I don't know if Elon Musk is the right person. He might be, but I do think Twitter needs someone to get in there with more of a founder mentality when i'm using air quotes but just someone who's actually in there and wants to create a great service and isn't just like it, it feels like twitter for a while has just kind of been chugging along and not really treading water yeah treading water exactly and to get someone in there to to mix things up a little bit i think is probably a good thing for twitter and whether right, Elon Musk I mean, is the right person or not you have to be seen i don't mind Prague. i thought Prague's done okay
0: everyone hates the, him i don't know why but
1: well, I think Musk is trying to fuel that a bit. It, well, you just covered Pinterest, both of the Twitter and Pinterest kind of product rollouts remind me a little bit. It's like you look at Instagram or you look at, um, well, I'm no expert on TikTok, but you look at a lot of Facebook products and you're like, wow, they're cranking out these products quickly. Why can't Pinterest and Twitter? Yeah, they're smaller, but they still got thousands of employees. I'm sure it's the same allocation compared to their business size. Seems like, yeah, you could have someone in Twitter that has a better product strategy. But is Elon the right guy for a better product strategy? The guy's changes his product strategy at all his, all his companies seems like month by month. So, what's to me, it seems like kind of the same uh, as it was in the past, where Twitter's just been erratic and saying they're going to change to subscriptions or whatever. And we're going to be Dorsey saying stuff about it being an open protocol out of his mind. Um, I've so given I up on know.
0: Dorsey. I've given up on Dorsey. Well, did you see the? Did you see the block in investor day? We're a network of networks. That doesn't mean anything. <laughs> How is anyone supposed to take anything away from that? I,
1: I, I was considering watching it until I saw it was five hours, and I maybe I'll watch it if I'm super bored and I want to drink every time they mention Bitcoin.
0: As soon but, as it turned to as soon as he turned like it's like the bull market fueled his galaxy brain takes and then the galaxy brain takes instantly fueled like an 80% sell off it's someone's got to get the what he says under wraps like i'm t- i i guarantee the cfo is just fed up with all the bitcoin stuff they spent 140 million on it i was looking in the last quarterly conference call oh on, all red, on all these on on all these bullshit initiatives like it's okay, it's one thing. First of all, there isn't a whole lot of clarity on what they're doing. Second of all, they can be earning they have such a good payback on their cash app marketing. Why not throw all your money at that? Like why do you have to do all this like mining stuff? It's weird and yeah risky. I mean, he literally lost. I I obviously he lost a bunch of investors because of it. All right. I, I wanted to pull this thing up from the related to why Tesla got dropped from the ESG index. So it says, and this is per per Laura Kolodnoy. I hope I'm not saying that wrong. Uh, She said, While Tesla's stated mission is to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy in February this year, it settled with the Environmental Protection Agency after years of Clean Air Act violations and neglecting to track its own emissions. Tesla ranked 22nd on last year's Toxic 100 Air Polluters Index compiled annually by UMass Amherst Political Economy Research Institute, worse than ExxonMobil, which came in 26th. The index uses data from 2019, the most recently available. In Tesla's first quarter filing, the company also disclosed it is being investigated for its handling of waste in the state of California, and that it had to pay a fine in Germany for failures to meet take back, I'm putting that in quotes, obligations in the country for spent batteries. Meanwhile, California's Department of Fair Employment and Housing sued Tesla over anti-black harassment, and discrimination in its Fremont car plant. The agency says it found evidence that Tesla routinely kept black workers in low-level roles at the company, gave them more physically demanding and dangerous assignments and retaliated against them when they complained about racist slurs. Last year, the National Labor Relations Board said Tesla had engaged in unfair labor practices as well.
1: That's ESG right there. That's right.
0: (laughs) I feel like ESG, people focus too much on the E. Like there is so Mm -hmm. much, like a lot of that is your, your workplace. Like I I feel like everyone instantly thinks what's your like carbon out, like carbon impact. Whenever you hear the term ESG.
1: No, having your cousin on the board is good for G the governance part. No one cares
0: about governance, let alone like socials, like a, Eh, whatever, like, but they just hear <laughs> environmental, like, governance might as well not be in there, might as well be called ES. The ES yeah. next
1: screwing the city of Buffalo. Nah, that's fine. Um, okay. All
0: right, enough, enough. Elon, hate uh, here's, here's one. one I this
1: is this is different. I got a little prediction about old Jeff Bezos. Um, I'm seeing his, you know, he's getting into the political sphere. I think within well, before he dies. He will run for president. I'm making that this means nothing. Me making this prediction,
2: but I. What are you guys' thoughts? Is it going to happen or I'd, what? I'd take the opposite side of that. I don't think he's going to. We can have Ooh. a little friendly wager. I don't think he'll. I don't think he'll ever. Even run. a Howard
1: Schultz month long fake push until he makes a huge mistake and then has to pull out.
2: Yeah, I think I think it's possible that he'll hint at it, and I think he'll be involved in politics and back people, and but I think. He, I don't think he. I think he'd rather be the richest man in the world and do what he wants to do than have to be president for four years or eight years. You know, no, like he's still, I he's think good. I think he's at that level where doing that type of job, like he didn't even want to run Amazon anymore, right? Like, you know what I mean? So I think yeah, but it's only been a
1: year. He's complaining about inflation. He's got to get. He's got to get back
0: in the saddle. Something. The one thing. The one thing that sucks is, no matter who the president is you immediately will have roughly 50% of the U S population that hates you. And the, Oh, well it's more and than a that, lot of already
1: hates Bezos, So
0: I don't know. I mean, maybe just because he's on the net worth list, but it's like he, I don't know. I, I don't think he deserves the hate at all. And I'd hate to see him subject to like, unfair criticism i know like he can take it whatever he's the richest person in the world but yeah he can take it yeah well you have to he's done so much on behalf of the american consumer and and everyone hates him
1: well also employees they are the minimum wage driver not to be a propaganda podcast for amazon but they are the minimum wage driver walmart's been pretty evil about that in my mind and and by minimum wage
0: driver you mean they are They are the ones that forced the minimum
1: wage up. They basically forced everyone's minimum wage above $15 an hour because they went up to 18, I believe. It could be 17. They also pay for college for everyone. But all right. So you guys are not on board. Um, When this happens, Bezos 2024, when it happens,
0: I could see it, but Bezos, Bezos Jassy ticket?
1: No, no, not Jassy. It's going to be a Bezos. uh,
2: uh, I have no idea. Bezos is
1: some random politician.
2: Yeah, my my prediction is that Bob Iger runs for president before Jeff Bezos. Oh, um, he to would see lose. That. Iger would lose so hard. Like I'm he, not a, I'm I not think a, he's more likable than Jeff Bezos in the minds of most people.
0: That's yeah, true. He's got a better He, is. he, he has a better, better public persona, but I don't know. Hearing about all this stuff from the Disney like executive team over the last few years, it sounds like Iger might have been a little full of it on some of the stuff like maybe disney's <laughs> success isn't completely attributable to him
1: yeah him and schultz are micromanagers it seems like and they can't leave and that that's that's just a negative all right we got some questions here first someone asked for thoughts on the now earnings report i don't want to talk about that you can dm us in person we can chat about it maybe we're always happy to chat um two someone complimented tesla so thank you that uh, the uh, third, let me, hold, on, what, hold on hold on hold, on, hold on you
0: got another thing on bezos here no 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 just when we say we don't want to talk about it we can't we just don't anything that's in the portfolio we don't like talking about holdings because of whatever rules and just not being you know we don't want to we don't want any uh potential problems with the fund
1: yeah, so, but again, I'm happy to talk about that privately. Uh, second one, or we had, just a comment, Tesla, thank you, bt 8 and said Elon2024, <laughs> love that, that's good commentary. Here, there, We had one about valuing uh, Brookfield Asset Management, to be honest, don't know how to value them, it's a total black box for me, but we got a good one here from Achilles. Uh, great question. What is the right way of looking at PE multiples for different sector companies, say healthcare versus industrial or staples? What are the thumb, some of the things that drive this? That's a tough question. I think PE is probably just cash flow, whatever. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on that? Maybe Ian, we'll start with you and then just go around around the room.
2: Yeah. So I tend to, as we've talked about, I tend to value things on free cash flow rather than earnings, but that's neither here nor there. The the concept still applies. So I think a few of the things that I keep in mind is I'll I'll generally just try and get a good sense of what the industry multiple is and what it's been, what it is now and what it's been historically, so that I can kind of get the range. But then some of the things that determine that, I think. And as an investor, I think you should have an opinion about whether you agree with it or not in any particular industry, is generally um, companies that have wider moats and industries that have wider moats have higher uh, multiples. Industries that have more um, sector growth are gonna have higher multiples. And so like internet businesses over the last 20 years have have had higher multiples than traditional retailers, largely because they've had um, more sector growth. Um, potential. Um, I think also some of those industries that are just, and this kind of gets to the moat point, but some of those industries that are just safer um, or more monopolistic are going to have higher multiples. And uh, the the inverse of all of what I'm saying is, is going to have lower multiples, obviously. And so one of the things I think as an investor where you can find a little bit of an edge is if you see things like I think over the last, 10 years, there's been a number of retailers that people have looked at and said, okay, this is being valued way less than a lot of the internet retailers, but they actually have a good business and they're going to become more like an internet retailer. And so, even though the market is valuing these types of businesses as low multiple businesses, eventually they're going to value them more similar to these higher multiple businesses. And so, I think that's one of the ways as an investor. It's not always the way that I invest, but that's one of the things when you're comparing kind of the multiples in different industries um, that I think if you have a disagreement with the general consensus about um, how safe a business is, how much of a moat a business has, how much sector growth there is within that um, particular sector, then um, I think there's some, that's there's some opportunities where the market may be misvaluing it and you may, you may have an edge. Um, the last thing I'll say is I think the, um. Well, actually, I'll just I'll let you guys talk,
0: Ryan. Yeah, I, I guess Ian Ian pretty much said everything I was thinking. But the I guess for any business, you want to value it based on uh, the future cash that it'll generate, uh, and your claim uh, to those no, cash flows. Never heard of that.
2: <laughs> I, I know that's, of that, that isn't before. that
0: isn't something that is. I know that's an obvious statement, but the uh, the reason I say that is because some industries it's a lot easier to predict those cash flows that they'll generate whatever 5 to 10 years out so those kind of command typically a higher multiple whereas something where the cash flows could fluctuate wildly either uh, like either to the downside or the upside um you're probably going to see higher discrepancies between those and and the the more predictable ones um I think you'll usually see lower, just because there's more risk associated with it for healthcare and stuff. Because I think that was what the question asked, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, those are hypotheticals, I think, but yeah. I mean, I th- I think industrials and staples; those are fairly predictable businesses. They'll probably get more of a um, like a a, a higher multiple the base cases, they'll probably get a higher multiple than something that has more fluctuated cash flows. Um, I don't know, for how do I think about it? It's just like, what do I think they can generate? And some businesses, I know I'm gonna be insanely far off. Some businesses, let's take um, like a Google, for example. That's a little easier to predict, I would think, than some like small biotech, because you really have no idea. Uh, whereas Google is pretty insulated, and that that moat is wider, which kind of touches on Ian's point, where if you have a wide moat and it's harder to disrupt the cash that you're generating, or competitors can't disrupt it, that that
2: rewards shareholders should reward that with a higher multiple, yeah. right? Because in theory, I'll just say this too: in in theory, all of the like you don't care whether the cash is being generated like all else equal from Google or the uh, biotech. Right. If, if you're getting a dollar from each of them this year, like in theory, you should be happy taking both of those. But the reality is that those companies, there's a lot more risk associated with one than the other. And so you're willing to pay more for the certainty of getting the dollar from Google than you are to, to um, the biotech. Just because you're you're worried about the the uncertainty. Now, what ends up happening is sometimes those actually have higher multiples because you know there's a chance it earns you a dollar, but there's also a chance it earns you twenty dollars, and there's a chance it earns you nothing, right? And so then it becomes those become like much more volatile, right? That the the uh, these companies with more predictable cash flows then have tend to trade within tighter ranges on um, some of these valuation ranges, and I'll say sometimes that's what gets me interested in a company is. A company that I really like, like we were talking about the rule of forty earlier. Um One of the a few years ago, I bought Apple, and the reason I bought Apple was, and you know, I'll be careful here because I don't want to pump the stock and all of a sudden drive oh, Apple wow. stock we price know it's based, a based on chit chat money. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> Ian, no, Ian, Ian,
0: careful, we're not pump yeah, pumpers no, here.
2: No, <laughs> but um, but no, I bought Apple a few years ago, and that was kind of the thing that triggered it for me. Was oh wow, this is trading at. Quite a bit of a lower multiple than it has traditionally traded at, and I think it's, I think it's still a strong business, and I think it's got some good growth potential in the future, and blah 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 blah. But the thing that got it on the radar for me was, oh, this multiple is kind of out of line with where both it's traditionally been, where the sector traditionally is, um, and I think I've got a little bit of a contrary view to what what the sector is because I, I just didn't see it. It seemed like a fairly high high probability bet at that point.
0: I think that's important. Yeah, that's that's where like I do think certain industries get uh, misvalued. Like they, especially like newer industries or industries that are changing a lot. There's people don't like sometimes an industry. The one I'm thinking of is video games. That's become. A higher quality business with digital distribution and more recurring revenue streams. And even Microsoft, uh Satya Nadella said, it's, it's, th- these are becoming much more software. Like sometimes you don't get the multiple, you don't get the revaluation. That could be kind of an opportunity. Um, are there any other industries you guys think are like not properly valued?
1: Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, I agree with you with video games. Look at our portfolio. You'll see that. That's probably our largest allocation sector wise under
0: underappreciated ah uh, about content I've, management systems
1: yeah they're I mean what's over
0: appreciated
1: over appreciated okay streaming I would much if we're gonna do entertainment, I just think the Well, I guess now valuations have gone down quite a bit, but I think for the longest time, people have underestimated constantly video games and overestimated streaming video in general. Um, I don't know why there's not more focus on video games. And I think that leads into something where um, a lot of the times, part of that reason why you think maybe the PE or whatever ratio you're using is too low is because the sector tailwind has been permanently underappreciated And if you looked back 10 years ago, no one would have imagined that video games would be whatever, $250 billion in annual spend around the world. Some people probably did. But if that is permanently underappreciated and you have those, uh, if you have quality businesses within there, they can be fairly easier bets. And the last thing I'll add on this, and maybe we go to another conversation, is you don't want to be, say, arrogant or overconfident. but Sometimes when I'm looking at a stock, I like to think, okay, what sort of earnings ratio or free cash flow ratio do I think this company deserves versus and if that's way lower than the market expects or the market is giving it right now, there could be some potential there. But you also have to figure out why the market is discounting it versus what you think, because then if uh if uh phew, if they're wrong, like if you can find some evidence that the, whatever the, whatever the consensus is, that's bringing down that multiple. The easy example was the iPhone, uh, sorry, Apple in 2015, 2016, it was seeing iPhone unit sales stalling out. And that but they were about to, I mean, that was about to be fine. At least revenue wise, it was going to grow. They had that pricing power and they're about to launch the AirPods and the smartwatch to get that growth back services, whatever. If, the reason that they were down is because the unit sales, and if you disagree that that's a fair thesis and that it, it actually deserves the higher multiple and will generate a lot of cash, that can be an opportunity to set things up, but there are few and far between. You probably might find one a year of those really juicy situations at best.
0: Yeah, we, we do have a question. Thoughts on Disney stock long-term. We'll, uh, we can hit that in a second. New topic, Martin Shkreli out of prison.
1: Went back. Well, he's too late. I wish he came out of prison a little earlier.
0: Because I don't know. I could no still see that money. No, I could, it could happen.
1: <laughs> I I don't know much don't about so.
0: him. I just know the <laughs>
1: tweets that people say that they're. So he he totally scammed people. He's kind of a
0: dick. That's, I don't know if he scammed people i think he raised the price of a price gouged um, price gouged he price gouged on like an hiv um drug like he he raised the price by like 5,000 x or something like that or like 5,000 percent and it was like overnight and it was kind of like something that people really needed but i don't know he i have watched videos of him before apparently it was like a messy trial i i probably not uh qualified to talk on it but disney stock lo- long term i want to hear your guys thoughts
2: on that ian you're a shareholder aren't you i am a shareholder it is that's that's actually one of my bigger positions it's down now because it's uh the stock's been down but i'll see actually what where it ranks in my portfolio but um generally i think they have a better model than any of the other streaming businesses because they can make money in so many different ways they, if they have success as a show, they make money in the parks and they make money on merchandise and on um, just all sorts of stuff, right? They just they constantly can can generate cash. Basically, I think they also, which just makes them more profitable over the long term. For every dollar they spend on content, they have many ways to, to tap into that and make money. And I think some of these other businesses are going to start trying to get more into that, right? I think Netflix is. Um, gotten a little bit more into the merchandise game in the last year or two, um, but it's still just a drop in the bucket. Um, and I think some of what Netflix is trying to do with gaming is kind of going that direction too. They're realizing that just making money in streaming isn't getting the most bang for their buck on the content they're making. So um, that's that's generally one of the reasons I like Disney. I think the downside on Disney is- The recent Doctor a- Strange movie sucked. <laughs> that's what i heard i haven't seen it but all the marvel movies
0: the last since whatever that giant one have been trash talk marvel's like okay maybe i'm just getting old but it feels like it's going downhill
2: well ian bring your point up and then i'll talk yeah i'll just say i think as these companies get bigger and disney's experiencing this is that they have to deal with more and more whether it's social issues or government issues or all sorts of stuff, right. It's just as, as an organization grows and gets large and especially in kind of today's environment, there's just a lot more stuff they have to deal with, right. And and things that they have to figure out and, and determine their stances on and corporate policy and to have a leadership transition that maybe didn't go so smooth in the middle of that. I think that there's some uncertainty right now around Disney and how well like if, if they can really like, it's always tough because you, you sometimes some of these big businesses, it seems like they can't focus on the business enough that they actually get to, there's too much going on in the, the in the world that they, that they get sidetracked from their main business focus. And so um, I think that may be one of the, the potential, you know, bear cases for Disney.
1: There's yeah. A lot of noise. Okay. The real like easy bear case is China exposure, especially the park there seems really tough right now. Their China exposure is just tough. It's just tough. It's not open.
0: Disagree. I don't think it matters. No, I don't think it matters. Like the Shanghai park was open for three days last quarter and they're like, it's not a big part of their international presence.
1: I know, but it's supposed to be a big part of their growth.
0: China in general parks was parks had, Obviously, it's an easy comp, but parks had really good growth internationally and uh, domestically across uh, – well, it's parks and experiences. But they, they, they saw really strong growth, and it was almost like a drop in the water with the China stuff. Although the Hong Kong one wasn't like – it was either the Hong Kong or the Shanghai one was uh, – it hadn't shut down yet. So maybe maybe it'll be – worse next quarter but i don't think it's a huge part of their business
2: yeah also well, i'm <laughs> less concerned about the the not, piece yeah. of it but it's the content piece and just the market and like brett was saying the growth piece of it they're not as dependent on china growth as like i think someone like a starbucks Nike maybe. or a starbucks yeah. or even apple, an apple yeah um but i think it is it is a big piece of the story
1: i would just be worried about the business going away especially because entertainment with a propagate with a socialist nation like that is just razor thin. I, I just worry, but flew into the bullish side. I mean, the parks business is, uh, I think it's one of the best businesses in the world. It feels idiosyncratic. It feels unbeatable really. So man, Europe and um, I mean, even Japan too and some of those other non-Chinese Asian markets and the United States, that just seems like a phenomenal business. People are going to continue to go with their families However, I do not like their strategy with their content assets. I think they're trying to wring all of the dollars out too quickly, and they're not going at it in a high-quality way, especially Star Wars, Marvel, whatever. It's their, I would much rather have them go a hybrid Nintendo route of being a little more patient about bringing out high quality things once or twice a year with their big assets and yeah, they're supposed to create shareholder value and they got to pump out some movies at least, and they got to get content for Disney plus, but I believe the reputation with Marvel and star Wars is going down slowly, steadily, I guess would be a better word. And that would be the biggest concern for me.
0: I think I, yeah, sorry. Finish your thought.
1: Uh like Ian said, the advantage Disney has is combination of streaming plus parks plus cruises plus whatever. So I don't think you need to be generating that much uh gosh, just this overabundance of stuff from Marvel because you can utilize a lot of that IP at the parks and it it just feels like too much in general.
0: I do think, yeah. I think if you do, if you try to do too much, it can kind of dilute the brand. But just, I I mean, Buffett's the one with the famous quote about how they can just, they have the most timeless intellectual property in the world, aside from maybe, actually, I I would put them up top. Nintendo's
1: higher.
0: Well, not in the top, not of all the top 10, but the, and the, you can kind of just tap into that same franchise over and over every five years that is a really good model i think it is to 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 this date it's been a wonderful business and the a lot of that is attributable to the wonderful ip that they have however i worry that all the value that they get from their parks and from their uh like theater business or entertainment side that's not streaming is going to be poured into streaming and I worry about that that industry as a whole. Like, I, it feels like auto manufacturing in the nineteen the early nineteen hundreds. Like everyone's pouring capital into this. Yeah, you might have the best, but that doesn't mean the returns are going to be worth it there. And I don't. I, I'm not. I'm just not sure. Disney Plus is like they have to do something to make that business lower churn for people above the age of 15. like 12, really? 12, yeah. Yeah. Like, integrate whether it's integrating Hulu, I know I think Comcast has a 33% stake, so that might be a hiccup, but...
1: Integrating ESPN Plus. ESPN Plus, like... Well, they do the bundle, but it's, like, weird. Like, They're still
0: separate entities. I just and want they triple to count those subscribers.
1: Wow, they got to do that for the number. They have Get to. Those up, the subscriber numbers up.
0: It Just all these all the money being poured into streaming concerns me because it seems like it it makes all these things more disposable. I feel like we've talked about this before where it's very easy when times are tough to just kind of switch off of one, switch back later, switch off. Like, I don't know, like, is is any company, is streaming really that good of a business?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a good question. i there was a quote this week from the new Warner Brothers, whatever it's called, Discovery Plus Time Warner merged company. Uh, he was telling the like content managers, basically he was saying what I think a lot of people say when they watch something is like, why can't you just make all the content good like HBO? And that's my question for Disney: Why can't you just wait until it's good? Because something tells Nintendo me it's a little harder that. than that. Uh, they knew Nintendo they know, misses Nintendo no, misses Rarely And HBO doesn't miss They're like 90% success rate For their core target They're Yeah Why can't Why Why can't other people Replicate that What's the special sauce at HBO Because it's the same thing There's hiring actors They're hiring directors And they're making stuff What's the big difference I thought Disney And Pixar too I guess Actually Maybe Disney movie. just has a different
0: target like they have such a range of targets that like for us we're like oh that content sucked but it wasn't designed for us and hey, so I they have it, to please they have to all these different target customers like hulu has some good content on there that I, I'm the t- I was a target
1: customer for star wars and everything's been thumbs down
0: everything there were some good movies what about the, uh, the, rogue, one, the Han- I, rogue, rogue one, one was, I thought the solo movie only was thing was good. good
1: only thing that was good is rogue one solo uh, what about the I, mandalorian
0: I, I don't <laughs> I haven't, oh, I haven't signed on. up for Disney Plus. I haven't signed up for Disney Plus. That's on you. You're missing out on some decent content. Mandalorian is pretty good.
1: Yeah. Well, I think in general is I worry about their their not having a stricter barrier of like, okay, this is not good. Let's put this on hold. Because that ruins brand quality over the long term. Marvel, I'm not watching those movies cuz Everything's been bad. And maybe that's for it's for 12 year olds, but I, I'm out.
0: All right. Sorry, I was on mute there. It's almost, it is one o'clock, I think. Okay. Uh, All right. gotta sign off here. Yeah good, discussion.
1: yeah. good discussion today. As always, we'll see you guys next week. You can watch them on YouTube. It'll be easy to find our channel. Just look up Chit Chat Money. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can always listen. It'll come out a few days after Sunday morning uh, for the same episode on any podcast feed you can find. Thank you all for listening.